Welcome to the Watershed Teaching Podcast. Watershed is the high school ministry of Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Perimeter Church is part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Watershed is a place where we hope high school students would connect, receive, and transform. We want to see students connect with God and others through healthy community, receive His truth through gospel-centered, grace-based teaching, and be transformed by the gospel to then go transform their world. Thank you for downloading this podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.perimeter.org slash watershed. Happy New Year, Watershed. It's good to see y'all. Welcome back. We're so excited. We have missed you. We love you. We're so glad to be back with y'all. So I'm just going to go ahead and start. I'm jumping right in. I'm letting you know right now, you can look on the screen, we're starting a new series tonight called A Better Way. So here's what A Better Way is. What we're going to do is we're going to spend the next uh, five weeks following the life of one of my favorite men in the Bible, one of the most influential men in the Bible, one of the wisest, one of the most powerful, a man who is chasing after God's own heart. We're going to follow the life of King David. So we're going to spend time in First and Second Samuel these next five weeks, and, and I'm just so excited. We're going to jump right in. So today, we're going to be in First Samuel 18, verses 1 through 5. You guys can follow along on the screen. It says this, it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. I love it. And then it says, after that, it says, And David, uh, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. So here's what we're going to do. This next five weeks, we're going to follow David, specifically his relationships, the relationships that he has with people. We're, we're going to come and, and we'll talk about his relationship with Bathsheba, scandal alert. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about his relationship with Nathan, this, this man that God used to just call him out. But today we're going to talk about his relationship with Jonathan. And we're going to talk about it in the context of having a forever friend. A forever friend being someone who is with you forever. You see what I did there? I know. I know. You can, you can put that on your Snapchat if you want to. So here's what's happening though. Here's what's happening in 1 Samuel. If, if, if you're not familiar with this book, if, if the only thing you know about David is that he defeated a giant named Goliath, let me tell you what's going on in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is, is a book in the Older Testament that transitions us. It's a transitional book that transitions us from the time of the judges the judges who used to rule Israel, some of them good, some of them evil on the side of the Lord. And this book transitions us from them to the monarchy of Israel, to the first kings. And there's three major players in 1 Samuel. Samuel being the first one. Samuel who is this great prophet who was also the last judge of Israel. And God would, would use Samuel to anoint the first king of Israel. Now the first king of Israel was who? I'll give you a hint, not David. David being the third person, third major character in, the, in 1 Samuel. The second, though, is this guy named uh, Saul. Now, now, in this time, the, the people of Israel were, were screaming, they were yelling, they wanted a king. They wanted a king, and they wanted Saul to be their king. 
And here's why. Saul looked the part. He looked like a king. He was tall. He was good looking. He was strong. He was somewhat a lot different than me. And he was the man that the people wanted to be their king. And so God used Samuel to anoint Saul to be that, to be that person. And things started off well. Saul was, was, was a king. He was loyal to God. But what so often happens with people when, when, when they uh, become more and more powerful, when they get more and more influence, is that they begin to stop listening to what God says. And so, so Saul began to get prideful. He, he began to disobey what God was calling him and asking him to do. He was, he was picking and choosing what he wanted to, to hear from God. Not like we ever do that, right? We don't, we don't pick and choose. That's not you or me. And so here's what happens. Is, is God tells Samuel, this prophet, this great prophet, to go into the town of Bethlehem. And, that, and there he was going to find someone who was going to be the next king of Israel. And so, so Samuel goes to Bethlehem. He goes to the house of Jesse. And Jesse's got a bunch of sons. And, and so he goes, hey, one of your kids is going to be the next king. And Jesse's like, okay, bet. And so he brings, he brings his sons forward and he starts with his oldest, with his tallest, with his strongest. And God says nothing. He's not saying that, yeah, this is the one, this is the one. To the point where Jesse uh, or, or, or Samuel kind of goes, hey, Jesse, like, do, you, do you have any other kids? Do you have any other sons I don't know about? And Jesse kind of laughs. He goes, well, yeah, my youngest, David, but he's just... He's the run, and he's out shepherding the flock. Samuel goes, well, we'll bring him. So they call for David, and he walks in, and this is what God says to Samuel. He says to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And so Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel. And so then what happens next is kind of crazy. David goes from being the this, this shepherd boy to becoming a big deal in Israel. And Saul, who's the current king, initially likes David. He likes David. David is a very talented musician and would go to, to Saul's uh, quarters and, and help him fall asleep. He would play a, a pretty song for him. It was just beautiful. It was powerful. It was probably something like what Kevin was doing up here, but better. Just kidding, Kevin. I love you. And so, and, and then on top of that, in, in 1 Samuel 17, we, we, we hear about, we read about David slaying the giant, about David going to the battlefield and, and meeting Goliath. And you guys know how that story ends. If you don't, Goliath dies. That's what happens. And so what I read, the verses that we read, 18, 1 through 5, picks up right after David has beat Goliath. And initially, again, like I said, Saul loves David. As we read, he tells David, hey, you're not going back to Jesse's house. You're staying with me. And, and, and by the way, like I'm, you're going to be the head of my army. But soon after these verses, people began to praise the name, not of Saul, but of David. And Saul would get jealous and began to pursue David and persecute David, wanting David dead. But before that happens, David meets somebody whose name is Jonathan. He meets Jonathan, who, who comes to him, feels called to him. The, the, another version, another translation says that their souls are knitted together. And he meets Jonathan when he needs him the most. Right before he's about to go run and hide, he meets a forever friend who he will know has his back. And see, for us, I, I think often 
often we go into hiding. We feel like we're about to be persecuted. Maybe we've wronged somebody. We've wronged a friend or a friend group. And, and so we want to run away or, or hide from them. Or, or if, if you're like me, oftentimes in, in our shame we want to hide from God because of something we've done or, or something that we are doing because of sin in our life, because of temptation that we are falling to. We want to hide from God or we want to run from God. And what happens when we run from God is we turn from him. We, we turn from God. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that God never turns from us. And he sends his son Jesus to die for us, to, to forgive us, to give us eternal life for those who have faith in him. He wraps in his righteousness. The good news of the gospel is that even though we try to turn and run from God, he never turns or runs from us. He runs towards us. And the good news is this. This is one of my favorite things that God does is that God often uses a friend to bring us back to himself. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about forever friends. And I'm excited because in this text, we, we read about Jonathan. Here's something you need to know about Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. He's not just some random guy. He is the son. He is the prince. He is, in his mind, I'm sure, the heir to the throne of Israel. He's probably grown up looking at his father's throne and said, that's going to be mine one day. And then he meets David. He meets this friend right where he is. And here's my first point. There's, there's two things we're going to pull from the text regarding a forever friend. And, and the first one is this. A forever friend will meet you where you are. A forever friend is going to meet you where you are. So Jonathan literally meets David where he is. But I think it's more than just physically. Because right after David is, is, is praised by Saul and praised by the people, oftentimes when, when all of a sudden you, you go from nothing and become crazy famous, I, I hear that you can feel very alone. That is lonely at the top. So Jonathan meets him where he is. And that's what a forever friend does. He meets you where you are as you are. When I was in college, my, my freshman year, I, I was going through this thing called college life. College life is, is young life leader training. And so me and about 30, 40 other freshmen in college who were praying about uh, becoming a young life leader at a high school in Columbia, South Carolina, we got together. And I remember the first one in September. I remember the first one in September because I was sitting there and I was talking with some friends who I met at church or at FCA. I was talking with some of the other young life leaders who I knew because I went to school in the same town that I grew up in. And then I remember two guys walked in. Brad and Bowie. His real name is Brad, but that just gets confusing. So we'll call him Bowie. Brad and Bowie. They walk in. And here's what you need to know. One, they're two good-looking guys who dressed nice and had fancy haircuts and wore Abercrombie and Finch. Literally everyone here looked like Brad and Bowie. That's what Weston said. And they walked in. And here's the thing. They looked great. And the second thing you need to know is that I hated them. I did not like them because I was jealous of them because when they walked in, all the girls in that room go, they said, hello, Brad and Bowie. And I said, no, me, I'm, I'm right here. They're like, who are you? I was like, uh. I went home, I was like, mom, can I have Abercrombie? She said, no. But, but I remember just, I did not like these guys. And they came in and they were loud and they were funny and everything that I was, but better. Like they were tall and athletic. They had like frosted tips. I'm not jealous of that. But they looked awesome. And here's what's funny about God. Uh, these two guys ended up being in my small group during, during college life. 
and we got to know each other. We got to do life together. And these two guys, specifically Brad, Brad number one, became my best friend. Oh, I know. He's my best friend to this day. Uh, Here's how close we became. Uh, Later that year, that school year in February, they they did this thing called the, the Young Life Draft. So what they did is after all these potential young life leaders would, would interview and their, their call was affirmed to become a leader in Columbia, South Carolina, they put us all in one room and they would call us one by one and they'd say, like, all right, Weston, you're going to be a young life leader at? And there would be like an awkward drum roll and then they would say the school and, and the, like the team like of, of the older leaders would come and they'd gather around and they'd give you a big awkward bear hug and they'd throw a t-shirt at you or if you're lucky, a flat-billed hat and then you'd sit down. So we're there in this room, there's 30 of us, and they go, all right, Emilio, your turn. And so what I do is I grab someone's hand. It's not the girl who had a crush on, it was Brad's. And so me and Brad go up there and we skip to the front, and it's really cute. And we're kind of holding hands awkwardly. Um, but here's why we did that, other than the fact that we wanted girls to think it was cute. Let's be honest, that was reason number one. Reason number two is that deep down, we wanted to be young life leaders at the same high school. And we were hoping that if maybe the two of us walked up together, they would say, all right, Emilio and Brad, you're going to be leaders at whatever high school. And we kind of hoped this because we, we realized later that when we got interviewed, one of the questions that they asked us was like, hey, who's one person you'd want to be on a Young Life team with? And I said, well, Brad. And Brad, not knowing my answer, he was asked the same question like the next day, who's one person you'd want to be a leader with? He's like, well, Emilio. And so we went up there, and we're holding hands, and we're swinging, and it's cute. And they go, Emilio, you're going to be a young life leader at? And there's that awkward drum roll, and they say, Dreer High School. And I was excited because that was the school that I graduated from. I knew students. I could kind of get this picture, this vision of how God would use me. And they said, all right, Brad, since you're up here, let's go ahead and say what school you're in. And we kind of held hands tighter. And they say, you're going to be a leader at AC Flora High School which was my school's big rival. <laughs> they put us at rival schools. We would cheer against each other. We made fun of each other all the time. But that couldn't stop this forever friendship from happening. That couldn't stop it. Us being at rival schools couldn't stop what God did because I believe to this day that God knit our souls together just like he did Jonathan and David. Because to this day, if, if I'm in, in need, if I'm struggling, like in college when I started falling into some sin and temptation, God used my friend Brad to point me back to him. When, when Brad's best friend from high school died of cancer five years ago, I met him at the funeral, not because I knew his friend, but because my best friend needed me. And I met him where he was. That's what a forever friend does. A forever friend is willing to meet you wherever you are, however you are. Your forever friend is that person who at 3.30 in the morning, when you feel like you have nothing left to give, will meet you at Waffle House and tell you how incredible you are. Your forever friend is that person when you're about to go to the football game and calls you and you say, hey, my not forever boyfriend just dumped me. That person will stop what they're doing to meet you where you are. Your forever friend is is, is the person who's going to, in your worst moment, make you feel like you're the best person in the world. Your forever friend is there for you at a moment's notice. Your forever friend is willing to sacrifice whatever they have going on for you because you mean that much to them. My second point, a forever friend is willing to sacrifice. So here's what we read in the text in in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 5. They they talk about David and Jonathan and, and being knitted. But right after that, Jonathan took off his robe and gave it to David. Now you gotta remember that having a robe was a sign of royalty. 
I mean, you can even think about when, when Jesus was, was being abused and mocked after his trial. They, they mocked him and said, oh, you're the king of the Jews. Here's this robe. Having a robe was a sign of royalty. And Jonathan took his off and gave it to his brother David. And then on top of that, he gave him his armor. You know who had armor back then? Jonathan and Saul. And so he gave his armor, he gave his shield, his belt, his sword, and said, David, here, take it. He sacrificed not just things, but he sacrificed his position. And if you keep on reading in in 1 Samuel, you'll see that he sacrifices his life. Because later in the battlefield, Jonathan would fall. And it's not hard to imagine thinking, well, if he had armor, he wouldn't have. But he knew what he was doing because he loved his brother because a forever friend sacrifices everything for their friend, for their brother. A forever friend is willing to meet you where you are. They're willing to give up everything to do it. I love what Jesus says in, in John 15, 13. He says that greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Jonathan lays down his life for his friend. If you are a forever friend, if you have one, you need to know that they'd be willing to lay down their life for you. Maybe not literally, but they're willing to give up what they have, their time, resources. They're willing to give up everything for you. You're going to have friends who will come in and out of your life because of time, because of distance. But a forever friend is one that you're going to have forever. Forever friend is someone who God's going to use in your worst time to point you back to Jesus. And while we're on the topic of Jesus, he is that perfect forever friend. Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus, in an act of humiliation, left the throne of heaven to come down, to be born in a manger by a virgin, to live a carpenter's life, to meet us physically where we are. And he sacrifices everything for us. He sacrifices his life for us so that we could have life with him for eternity. And he equips us for life. No one in this room would say that life is easy. When you, be, when you begin to follow Jesus, there isn't a promise that life is easy. But Jesus wraps us with his robe, with his righteousness, and he equips us with the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with 
which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, for us, when we put our faith in Jesus, we get the armor of God. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we begin to follow Jesus, he doesn't promise us an easy life. As we continue to follow the life of David, we'll see this man who chases after God's own heart has anything but an easy life. He doesn't promise us that trials and suffering aren't gonna come. That's not the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus is with us in those times. And so we put our faith in him. We believe in the name of Jesus. So here's how I'm going to close tonight. With just two, two questions. One, who's that forever friend in your life? Who's your Jonathan? Who's your Brad? Who's that person that God is going to use for all of your life to point you back to himself? And two, what does your faith in Jesus look like tonight? There's people in this room who've been following Jesus for a long time. What would it look like to take that next step, to spend time in the Word daily, to worship Him daily? And if you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what would it look like tonight for you to put your faith in Him? So I'm going to pray. Tegan's going to come up, share some quick announcements because we're going over a little bit of time. But tonight as you go in your group, ask your leader, what does it look like to take the next step, whatever that next step is? Jesus, thank you so much for tonight, for this new year where we get to be back here in this room, worshiping you, praising you, and hearing from your word. Father, we thank you for the way that you sent Jonathan into David's life to be that forever friend, to sacrifice, to meet him where he was. And, and Jesus, we thank you that you sent people in our lives to do that. And Father, we thank you that you sent your son to be that perfect forever friend. May we forever worship you now and tomorrow and every day to come. In your name we pray. Amen.